right, hello everyone. As I am in real life, I am bringing to my podcasting, I am late and I apologize, but here we are. I hope everyone had a great weekend. My week last week was a bit of a dumpster fire, as I say at work all the time. <laughs> it was uh, very busy. We are horribly short-staffed in my office, but luckily I really enjoy my coworkers. The weekend was great, but as usual, it went by way too quickly. Yesterday, my husband and one of my besties and I went to a seafood boil at our other friend's house. It was absolutely delicious. On Sunday, my husband and I spent the day together watching football while I put the podcast together. It is also now the week of Thanksgiving. Thank goodness we have our Friendsgiving on Wednesday and then my family's Thanksgiving is on Thursday. Honestly, my favorite part of Thanksgiving is the stuffing. I would love to hear what everyone else's favorite food on Thanksgiving is. So go ahead and shoot me an email at downtherabbitholepodcast at gmail.com. Rabbit is spelt with one B because Google. But Black Friday will put us into the full Christmas swing, which is what I live for honestly I will get to openly play my Christmas music and nobody will judge me and well I'm sure some people will judge me but that is enough about me so without further ado let's dive in Last week, we left off on Dennis being big mad that he wasn't getting any attention in the media. His little ego was feeling a bit bruised along with the letter. Dennis had started suggesting names for himself to the paper, some of which being the BTK Strangler, which would literally be bind them, torture them, kill them, Strangler. I wish you could see me rolling my eyes. Disgustingly, he also suggested the Wichita Hangman, and last but not least, the Asphyxiator. He's just so stupid, I can't deal with it. Okay, after the letter, the Wichita Police Chief Richard Lemunyan called a news conference to tell the public for the first time that the BTK Strangler was at large in the area. He said, We have no reason to believe the individual has the capability to kill again. Excuse me? This man has confessed to you to the minimum of five murders, and we don't think that he's capable of killing again? Ugh, Dumb. Dumb. That's how I feel about that. It's just dumb. On a brighter note for at least Dennis's wife in 1978, uh, they welcomed a baby daughter into the world. So now they have two children. On April 28th, 1979, Dennis found who he wanted for his next target. He broke into the home of Anna Williams and waited for the 63-year-old woman to get home. Thankfully, Anna took too long to get home and Dennis decided to leave. She learned she was almost strangled to death by the BTK Strangler when she started receiving her personal items in the mail, along with a disturbing poem called, Oh Anna, Why Didn't You Come? Maybe instead of terrorizing his own community, Dennis should have become a writer and then maybe something that he wrote would have been published. He could have foregone all of this nastiness. On August 14th, 1979, the police start seeking help from the public. They decide to release the recording of the phone call Dennis made after he killed Nancy Fox. While literally thousands of calls came in with tips, none led to any leads. And this is where I call bullshit. Excuse me, excuse my language, but how did Dennis's wife not know what was going on? A mad killer was on the loose in her area, killing women just like her. The police were releasing clips of his voice and she has not one clue it's her husband. I don't think so, but... I digress. 
Dennis didn't kill anyone for six years after Nancy Fox. Just like the three-year hiatus, his real-life obligations were getting in the way. This time, instead of dressing dolls up in his quote-unquote trophies to keep his nasty urges under control, he was tying himself up, dressing up in wigs and masks, and used a tripod to take photos of himself in his trophies. Dennis continued his familial obligations as well as keeping his job as a compliance officer. Dennis once told Ramsland that he was a sociopath, which meant he could easily dehumanize his victims. He also said that while he did love his wife, it was a very shallow love. In 1984, after almost zero leads, Chief Lemonian established a task force devoted to BTK. They nicknamed this task force the Ghostbusters, and they went to work on gathering evidence. The next victim was Maureen Hedge. She was a widow and described as a gentle and kind woman. Dennis and Maureen lived on the same block for over 30 years. Let that sink in. Maureen Hedge lived on the same block as this man, no, absolute monster, for over 30 years. On April 27, 1985, Dennis was in the middle of a Boy Scout meeting when he said he had a headache to get out of it. The next series of events are stupid, but calculated. He left the meeting, went to a bar, and at the bar, he got a beer. He swished it around in his mouth and spit on himself, making it appear that he was drunk to everyone else in the bar. He then got a cab and had the cab driver bring him to Maureen's home. Her car was in the parking lot, so he assumed she was home. He cut her phone line and broke into her home through the back door. He realized no one was home and hid in the bathroom. From there, he saw a car pull up and Maureen and a man went into the house. Dennis went to the bathroom closet and hid there until the man left, and Maureen went to sleep. I have a theory here. I don't think that he tried to attack them both, because when he tried to take on both Catherine Bright and her brother, the brother got away, and he didn't want that chance that again. After the man left, Dennis turned on the light, jumped on Maureen, and strangled her to death. This is when Dennis deviated from his usual routine of leaving the scene and contacting the police. He dragged her body outside and put her into the trunk of her own car. He then drove to the church that he regularly attended and had the keys to because he was a trusted member there. He went down into the basement, put plastic up on the windows so that no one could see in, and Dennis dragged Maureen's body into the basement and started taking photos of her in different positions. When he was done, he put her body back in the trunk and drove off. Dennis dumped Maureen Hedge's body in a ditch on the side of a dirt road not far from their home. A year later, in September 1986, Dennis set his sights on Vicki Wedgerl. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce her last name. Vicki was 28 and had two small children. One day, he had walked by her home and heard her playing the piano. That's when he decided she would be his new project, which he called the PJ Project. On September 16th, he dressed up as a telephone repairman and pretended he was at Vicky's home to repair the telephone, and she let him inside. Ironic, considering he was always cutting the phone lines. And then, surprise, surprise, he cut her phone lines. It's not funny, it's it's the irony for me. And at gunpoint, told Vicky he was going to tie her up. Luckily, Vicky put up a hell of a fight. She fought so hard, she covered Dennis in cuts and scratches. Which brings me back to, how in the world did his wife not know what was going on? Finally, fed up with the fight, 
Dennis got rope and strangled Vicky to death. After taking pictures of the body in different positions, he stole her car and took off. He passed by her husband who was on his way home and the husband said he saw his wife's car but couldn't recognize the driver. He rushed home to find their two-year-old in the living room and searched for his wife. She was on the floor behind their bed in the bedroom. She was rushed to the hospital and pronounced dead a few hours later. At the same time, Dennis was disposing of the evidence and parked the stolen car a few blocks away from the home. He went to his own house, changed his clothes, and went on about his business. Dennis Rader's last victim was Dolores Davis. Rader seemed to like keeping it close to home as Dolores lived a mile and a half from his own home. Rader seemed to decide not to go after younger women anymore because they fight him off better. Dolores was 62 and lived on her own. He planned this one out to a T. Dennis was going on a camping trip with his son and his Boy Scout troop for the weekend. On January 19, 1991, he came up with an excuse to leave the meeting that he was at and slip away. He drove to his parents' house to change out of his Boy Scout uniform and into his hit clothes. He parked at his church and continued on foot to the Davis home. This time, he waited outside for Dolores to turn the lights out and go to sleep. He went to the back door and broke the glass with a cement block. Dolores, terrified, turned on the lights and ran out of her broom to see what was going on. Dennis reverted back to good old reliable saying he was a criminal on the run and he needed money, food, and her car to get away. He brought her to the back bedroom and tied her up. He then strangled her to death. Just as he had with Maureen Hedge, he took Dolores' body and put it into the trunk of her own car. He drove to a nearby lake and hid the body and evidence under some leaves. He went back to the Davis home and wiped away all of the fingerprints. Then he went back to the church and changed back into his scout clothes and went back to the meeting. The next day, he went back to the body, put it in his own trunk, and dumped it under a bridge in Sedwick County. The day after that, he went back to take some photos of the body. And this is where I'll leave you for today. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. Next week, we'll go over the capture of Dennis Rader and the court case. Have a great week. Until the next.